Welcome to Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. The following message is part one of an archive teaching by Dr. Forrest titled, Five Benefits of Speaking in Tongues. We're starting a series, and I seem to be gravitating towards five when it comes to series. So, five benefits of speaking or praying in tongues. By way of introduction, you've already heard me teach on the fact that everywhere you read in the book of Acts where people got baptized in the Holy Ghost or filled with the Holy Spirit, they all spoke with other tongues. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. In each of those places, either it was explicitly stated that they spoke with tongues or it can be inferred from the text and other supporting texts that they spoke with other tongues. Amen? In fact, it was such an important sign to the apostles that they looked for that as evidence that people were genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit. Over there in Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 46, says Peter was preaching in the home of Cornelius. He had his entire family, all of his servants, and probably a couple of hundred people in his house. And Peter was preaching to him. And the Bible says, while he was yet preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on all of those that heard the word. And they began to speak with other tongues and magnify God. That was the sign that told them that they got filled with the Holy Ghost. But it's more than just an initial sign. Sadly, today, a lot of charismatics, Pentecostals, they get filled with the Holy Ghost. They speak with other tongues and then they turn the faucet off. I've got the baptism. I've got the evidence. That's all I need. And that's a tragedy because it's not just a sign. It is a powerful tool for communication with the Father God. So the Bible makes it clear that there's a difference between praying in tongues and the public gift of tongues. And if you try to mix and match those two, you'll get confused. So before we go any further, we want to sort that out. So notice that on the day of Pentecost, you got 120 people who got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. They come pouring out of that room and they're talking in tongues. There's people from all over the world that are there And they notice, hey, these are Galileans, normally ignorant and unlearned people. But we hear them speak the wonderful works of God in all of our native tongues. What's going on here? Notice, there were no interpreters there on the day of Pentecost that were running through the crowd interpreting, hey, he said this, and oh, this one said this, and this one said this. No, They supernaturally heard what they were saying in tongues by a gift of the Spirit that was dropped on them so they could hear these men talk about the wonderful works of God. But there were no interpreters there. Notice also in the home of Cornelius, when they all got filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, there was no interpreter there either. They were just speaking in tongues. Also there on the coast of Ephesus where Paul found 12 men who were believers, who were disciples. And he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard of a Holy Ghost. So they had some education they had to receive from Paul. And then he educated them. And the Bible says he laid hands on them. And they received the Holy Ghost and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Again... There was no interpreter in Paul's company running around interpreting what they were saying. Why? Because they were speaking unto God. 
How many know God knows every language, whether it's a known language or whether it's a language of the spirit or whether it's a language of angels, God understands. He doesn't need an interpreter. But the minute you speak to a public assembly in tongues, that's a different matter entirely. The Bible says it must be interpreted. Why? Because the people don't know what you're saying. And only when they know what you're saying will they be edified or built up. Amen? So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 2, this is in the English Standard Version. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So right there in the scripture, there in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, we see that there's a type of speaking in tongues that's unto God. And how many remember that when you're speaking unto God, you are praying? So this is talking about praying in tongues. Amen? And the whole context of the next three verses is about praying in tongues and the contrast with public tongues. So let me read it again. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God... For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Brother Bill gave a word of prophecy and it edified the body. Amen. Amen. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. King James says edifies himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Woo, glory, right there it is in the word, amen? Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified or built up, amen? So evidently, according to the scripture, public tongues needs to be interpreted, and when it is, it's equal to prophecy. It's equivalent to prophecy, So according to what we just read from the Word of God, God wants every believer to pray in tongues. And it doesn't have to be interpreted because he's speaking to God and not unto men. But there's a hint in these verses of another kind of tongues, which evidently involves speaking to men. And this type of tongues has to be interpreted. There's some more scriptures that shed light on this that at first glance seem to be conflicting. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 30 says... Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And I know people that pull that verse out of its setting and say, see there, tongues is not for everybody. Well, is God schizophrenic? Did we not just read where he said, I want you all to speak in tongues? So there's something else going on there. There's a difference between praying in tongues and public speaking in tongues That has to be interpreted. And he's saying not everybody's going to be used in that gift. Some will, some won't. It's as the Spirit wills. Isn't that right? Then 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says, Therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, Brother Scott's rule of thumb is, If you give a word in tongues, you should be prepared to give the interpretation. So whenever I give a, a message in tongues, I'm always prepared to give the interpretation. I love it when other people do, but I don't wait around forever. One or two pregnant pauses and I'm on it in the name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what a pregnant pause is where everybody's like, <gasps> is the interpretation going to come forth? You know. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. That reminds me of a testimony. You've probably heard this before. I'll share it again. Trish and I were at a Bible study. This is when we were stationed in Corpus Christi. I was still flying for the Marines. And it was one of those old-time charismatic-type deals where everybody was standing in a circle. Back in those days, you couldn't pray in the Holy Ghost unless you stood in a circle. It was a requirement. And sometimes there was somebody in a chair in the center, and we called it the hot seat. And they had, like, more hands laid on them than, than you can imagine, you know. Half of them were saying, hold on, and the other half were saying, let go, you know. <laughs> you know, but we grew out of that. So in this particular Bible study, we were singing in the Spirit, praising and worshiping God in, in the Holy Ghost. And I was praying and singing in tongues. And all of a sudden, I felt compelled to give a message in tongues. And it was one of the first times ever in my life I had ever done such a thing. And then I finished my message in tongues. And then I just stopped. And I thought, okay, I'll wait for somebody else to interpret. One potato. Two potato. Three potato. Four potato. I'm like, Lord. I started trembling. I thought, I'm out of order. You know, someone must interpret. So I started arguing with the Lord. I said, I was obedient to you, Lord. I gave this message in tongues, and now, it, now it's on me. What's going on? He says, give the interpretation. I said, Lord, I don't even have the or thus or a. Uh, I got nothing. <laughs> Lord said, yes, you do. Just start speaking. And I'm like, what? He said, just start speaking, and it'll come. So here's how it went. I'm like, the word of the Lord says unto you. But you know what? After the first few seconds of seemingly pulling words out of the air, it hit me. And I went with it. And I began to speak to a young lady that was there in the assembly that was contemplating suicide. This very morning, I said, you contemplated taking your own life because you didn't think anybody loved you. I'm here to tell you Jesus loves you, and I do too. And there was a girl there, and she burst into tears, and she said, how did you know? And it changed the course of her life. Saved her life in the name of Jesus. So, lesson learned. When you give a message in tongues, always be prepared to interpret. Because in, in the long run, God's got your back. The Holy Spirit has your back. He won't leave you hanging. If there's nobody out there bold enough, willing to give the interpretation, God will give it to you. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So evidently from the Bible, we see that there is tongues the sign and the powerful form of spiritual communication that Jesus said would follow those who believe... And there is the public gift of tongues that not everyone receives that is given in an assembly and has to be interpreted. Amen. So we had to get that sorted out before we went on. So what are some of the benefits of praying in tongues? Remember, when you pray in tongues, your audience is God. You don't need an interpreter. You can just cut loose. Even in a public assembly like this, it's okay to pray and sing in tongues as a group because even together we're still worshiping God, right? We're not talking to one another. That's why it doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks. Just go for it. Just let those rivers flow out of your heart, out of your belly. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so I've got five benefits of praying in tongues. Granted, there's some overlaps and similar concepts, but these are five benefits that I think will help you realize how vital it is for spirit-filled believers 
to exercise the gift of tongues continually in their lives on a daily basis. Amen? Hallelujah. Number one, praying in tongues brings rest, refreshing, and edification to your spirit, soul, and body. Number two, praying and singing in tongues produces intimate communion with and powerful worship of the Father. Number three, praying in tongues is a doorway into the mysteries of God. It increases your sensitivity to the realm of the Spirit. Number four, praying in tongues helps you fulfill your individual destiny as a believer. And number five, praying in tongues empowers you to pray perfect prayers of intercession in the Spirit. Amen? Hallelujah. Now we're going to go through these one at a time. Like I said, we probably won't finish today, but that's okay. Amen? The first one says, praying in tongues brings rest, refreshing, and edification to your spirit, soul, and body. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 and 12. Wonderful passage of scripture. Listen to what Isaiah said over 700 years prior to the day of Pentecost. Isaiah says in verse 11, chapter 28, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Now, I'm going to use a literary linguistic term here. It's called the definite article. Here where it says, To whom he said, This is the rest, and this is the refreshing. That's called a definite article. That means the this we're talking about is what we just said before. Tongues is rest. Tongues is refreshing. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. Verse 9 says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So evidently, there's an untapped resource that the writer of the Hebrews sees here that many have allowed to lay dormant in their lives. And it is the gift of tongues. And when you exercise that gift, the Bible says it'll bring rest and refreshing to your soul. It'll energize your spirit. It'll soothe your troubled soul. And it'll heal and cleanse your body. Amen? I'm going to show you that in the scriptures as we go along. It's more than just charging up your spiritual battery. I mean, it is an intense experience that touches every part of your being. Amen? Now, you can read over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that Paul uses the passage of the children of Israel through the Red Sea as a type of baptism. He said, they all passed through the Red Sea and the cloud was over them. In a sense, they were baptized in the Red Sea. And the cloud was there, which is a symbol of God's spirit, which tells us that you shouldn't be baptized until you've experienced the regeneration of the spirit and the new birth. Take it back to when they left Egypt. Egypt is always, Bible scholars will tell you, Egypt is always a type or a symbol of the world and the pleasures of the world. They came out of, they turned their back on the pleasures of the world. And they came out and they got saved and they passed through the waters. And that's a type of baptism. That's a type of the new birth experience. But here's one you might not have heard. 
over there in Joshua chapter 3, when they got ready to cross over into the land of Canaan, Joshua instructed the priests to take the ark and set it out before them. He said, put it out a distance before the people so they can see what's going on, so they can see where they're going to cross the river Jordan. Now, the ark is a type of the presence of God. Isn't that right? The ark is a type of the presence and the covenant of God. So if you read the book of Joshua, chapter 3, you'll find out that as soon as those priests got into the water, the river parted. Now notice a river is a little bit different than a sea. A sea moves, but it doesn't flow like a river. It's a little bit different. You see, the sea was used by Paul as a type of the new birth. But I'm going to show you that the Bible shows us that the river of Jordan and crossing over is a type of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And let me just say right now that if you spend time in the presence of God and you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, it won't be long before you will be. Amen. Because the presence always brings the manifestation of God's spirit. So they took the presence. They took the covenant. They entered into the water. And the Bible says the water that was flowing from the north stacked up on one side. And then the water on the other side dried out as it went south. And just like they walked through the Red Sea on dry land, they walked the Jordan River on dry land. Now, a lot of people teach that Canaan, the promised land, is a type of heaven. I'm going to tell you why I don't believe that. They went into the land of Canaan. They crossed in through the Jordan, which is a type of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they had to fight battles. Will we have to fight battles when we get to heaven? No, it's a type of the spirit-filled life. First, you get filled with the Holy Ghost. And then you go in there and you take on the devil. Amen. And you fight the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. So notice... There's a picture there of flowing water that's associated with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Everybody with me so far? Have I lost anybody? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Notice it says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. It sounds like an oxymoron. You've got to labor to enter into rest. Well, I'm applying this to tongues today, okay? I know this talks about all kinds of rest, but I'm applying this to the rest and the refreshing that comes from speaking in tongues and flowing in tongues, okay? Sometimes when you first get into this, and, and Brother Scott says, you need to pray in the Holy Ghost as much as you can. You know, if you can't pray an hour a day. And I've talked to students in our Bible school who said, you know, that's just, it's like a chore. It's, it's like I have to discipline myself. So yes, there is some labor that you have to endure to enter into that rest. But you can discipline yourself where it doesn't become labor. It becomes as natural as anything else you do during your day. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. You need to labor a little bit. You need to discipline yourself and learn to pray in the Holy Ghost as often as you can. If I'm in the car by myself, if I'm not listening to worship music, you can count on one thing. I'm talking in tongues. People drive by me and they say, Brother Scott, we drove by you and you were cussing up a storm. I'm like, no, I wasn't cussing. I was praying. Well, you were praying awful fast. I'm like, I was praying in tongues. What's that? You got a half an hour? I'll teach you something. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me get back on track here. All right. So notice it says that we shouldn't fall after the same example of unbelief. This story is talking about that there were some who were left in the wilderness. There was an entire generation who didn't cross over into the promised land. 
In fact, only two of that original group did, and that was Joshua and Caleb. So he said, don't fall in the same way they did. Don't allow unbelief to rob you of this special gift from the Lord. Don't allow your friends to talk you out of it because they don't believe it. I I like what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. So what if some don't believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God of no effect? God forbid, let God be true and every man a liar. The word of God is the ultimate arbiter of truth. Amen? Amen. I'll stand on the word. If I'm the only person believing the word, I'm going to believe the word. That's what Paul was saying, essentially. All right. So John chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. This is very familiar miracle. Most people are familiar with this. This is where Jesus at the wedding feast of Cana turned the water into wine. You've heard me use this example many times, but it's so instructive. It's so rich in understanding uh, the born again experience and also understanding uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So let me just read it. John chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they fill them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. Now, I believe that those stone water pots, which were used for the Jewish purification ceremony, those stone water pots, I believe, are types of human beings because they're earthen vessels. Paul said over in Corinthians, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Amen? And when you take earthen vessels and bake them in fire, they become like stones. So this is talking about earthen vessels. You put water in them, it's like the type of the, of the new birth. Isaiah chapter 12 says, With joy I will draw water from the wells of salvation. So Jesus said, put water in these empty vessels. And that was a type of the new birth. But then Jesus did something. He changed the water into new wine. You could say he changed the water into living water. What's wine? It's water with a little energy, right? A little zing, okay? So it's a type of living water. And then Jesus said to the servants, draw out now. Now I looked up the word in the Greek, and that actually means pump out. It means bring it out forcefully with some energy. Amen? So there again, there's that type of flowing, living water associated with salvation and associated with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. John chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So listen to me now. Hang with me. We've been talking about energizing your spirit and soothing your soul, bringing rest and refreshing. Now we have the troubling or the energizing of water, the moving of water. Water become living and moving associated with healing. See, nobody got healed when you stepped in the water and it was just a still pool. But when the water got agitated, when it became living water, it was able to cleanse and heal whoever stepped in to the turbulent waters. Amen. So again, there's a picture of moving water. Amen. You see where I'm going with this. John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. 
In the last day, that great day of the feast, and that was the Feast of Tabernacles, by the way, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So you see that this living water, that these types and shadows that I've been talking about of this moving water can energize your spirit, can soothe your soul, and can also cleanse your body. Amen. Oftentimes I think we rob people of that revelation when you say, you know, praying in tongues edifies your, your spirit, builds up your spirit, man. Well, I'm here to tell you it does more than that. And we'll wrap it up with this one. Jude chapter 1 verse 20. Jude says in verse 20, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. That word there, building up, King James says edifying. You know, just like in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Same terminology, same Greek word, building up, edify. What it means, it means to build. If you look it up in the original language, it's talking about building a temple. Does not the word of God say that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? So God is not just taking care of your spirit and your soul. He's also caring about your temple. And so when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you edify or build up your temple, spirit, soul, and body. We hope you enjoyed today's message on Five Benefits of Speaking in Tongues. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at GoFaithLife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and he's coming back again. We believe.